Hello, and welcome to Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast, where we share real stories of pregnancy and infant loss straight from the bereaved parents themselves. Baby loss is such a lonely experience, but we don't have to go through it alone. Your stories matter, your babies matter, so let's talk about them. I'm your host, Laura Rizzo, stillbirth, miscarriage, and living kiddo mama. You'll never hear me apologize for my grief, but you'll definitely hear plenty of unfiltered thoughts and raw honesty. So buckle up, get your tissues handy, and let's talk baby loss. Today we have a beautiful loss mama with us, Isla's mom, Hannah Smith. Today, Hannah's going to be telling her story, as well as sharing the things she wished the world knew about what it's like being a lost mom with no living children. Hannah lives in Alabama with her husband, Jake, and their two dogs, Wesson and Nancy. On March 31st, 2021, Hannah and Jake's world was rocked when their first and only child, Isla Marie Smith, was born urgently at 34 weeks after a normal pregnancy. Even though Hannah worked as a trauma nurse practitioner at the hospital where Isla was born, she was unprepared for the roller coaster they would ride together in the NICU. Throughout her time on Earth, Isla taught Hannah what it really means to be brave, surrendering to tender moments and being vulnerable. And sometimes, it's just choosing to open your eyes in the morning. In the wake of Isla's death, Hannah and Jake founded Be Brave for Isla. This nonprofit organization provides financial assistance and emotional support to bereaved families after the loss of a pregnancy, infant, and child. For more information on their nonprofit, you can see the show notes below. Hello, Hannah, and welcome to Things I Wish You Knew, the podcast. So happy to have you on here today. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I cannot wait to just talk about Isla for an hour. Yes. Um, <laughs> now, I'm fortunate enough to know a little about you and your story and Isla, um, but I'm really excited for you to be able to share it with so many more people and to talk about Isla. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the stage is yours. Um, and we'd love to hear about your story. Well, if you insist. Um, again, thank you so much for having me. Um, this, What you're doing is incredible, and I'm really grateful to be a part of it. Um, I wish that I wasn't, and I wish you weren't either, but here we are. Um, so I will tell you all about my little girl, Isla Marie Smith, the light of my life. <laughs> um, in 2020, I got pregnant relatively easily, and I had like a lot of lost moms are told they have a normal pregnancy. Um, I had a normal growth scan. All of my testing was good. Um, and then when I got to be about 34 weeks pregnant, I had come off of a trauma shift. I am a trauma nurse practitioner and I didn't feel right. I didn't feel like she was moving and I just had a gut feeling that something was wrong. Um, so I went to the maternity evaluation unit at the hospital that I work at, told them I didn't think she was moving, and uh, they immediately admitted me to labor and delivery. And a maternal fetal medicine doctor came and did a special scan, anatomy scan, to look at her. And there was less than a centimeter of fluid around her. 
and she weighed about a thousand grams by her estimation, which is too, too tiny for a 34 weeker. Um, so they gave me some steroids and our plan was to keep getting steroids to help her lungs develop. And then I could have a C-section two days later. We made it five hours before I was rushed back to the operating room. Um, Jake didn't have time to get his mask before I was out of the room. Um, cause this was in COVID times, um, big time. So he was just like stranded while they took me to the OR. And then from when I closed my eyes in the operating room to when she was born was about 20 minutes. Wow. Um, they just yanked her right out of there. Um, I'm so grateful to my doctors for doing that. Um, and Isla Marie Smith was born on March 31st. Um, when I woke up and they rolled me to her room, um, her nurse, Chelsea, who is now like one of my best friends and sisters, did not congratulate me on the birth of my first child. She said, your kid doesn't know she's two pounds um, <laughs> because apparently she had been punching out of the warming bag and screaming, um, which is really all you need to know about Isla. Like I could stop there and you <laughs> know all about her personality. <laughs> Um, but I got there and she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. She was two pounds, nine ounces and 16 inches long. So just all limbs. <laughs> um, we were told that they couldn't really tell me why she was so small or why she didn't have any fluid. Just that the plan was to admit her to the NICU, stay there till probably my due date. So she could get a little bit bigger, learn how to eat on her own. And, um, kind of grow into being a, a baby and none of that happened. So she started immediately needing more oxygen. Um, we thought that could be because, you know, her lungs didn't get to develop enough. Um, but it just kept getting more and more that she needed. Um, she was really angry and agitated all the time. Like she just seemed like she wanted to crawl out of her skin. Um, and she was requiring an NG tube to get breast milk. And we tried to give her a bottle. I tried to breastfeed. She could never get it. It seemed to make things worse. Um, and what we didn't know then and know now is that she was silently aspirating, oh, like all of the breast milk. She was just breathing it in. Um, and it was very jarring. Um, we had multiple times where We'd go to like the observation floor and she'd be okay. And then she'd stop breathing. Her stats would go down to like in the twenties, her temp would go up. Nobody knew what was happening. So finally, after we bounced back and forth for a while, we told the doctors we were not leaving the NICU until we go home. Um, at this point, we've consulted every specialist you can think of ENT, facial surgery, plastic surgery, pulmonology, physical medicine, neurology, nobody could tell us anything. Um, and none of her symptoms really made sense together. Um, so what we kind of landed on was that she had a really tiny baby little jaw, very beautiful and cute. Um, but there was a chance that it could be impeding her airway. So our goal was to get her big and strong enough to where she could have a plastic surgery to get her jaw fixed. Okay. And she did it. We figured out what made her happy, <laughs> what kept her calm so she could keep the weight on. And we got, we got to six pounds mm -hmm. and that was the goal yeah. and we did it. Um, so on, and while that was all happening, 
our doctors were like, listen, we don't know what this is. We highly recommend you do more testing if you can. And the hospital that she was at had um, a research study happening until like May. She was born in March. So it ended in May and it was whole genome sequencing. So they tested all of us. They told us they'd give us our results back in a couple of months. Um, so on July 15th, we were transferred to Children's of Alabama, which is attached to UAB, the hospital that she lived at, because they do all the surgeries there. Um, I met with the plastic surgeon. He was great. Um, I walked my baby down to the OR. And like I said before, I'm a trauma nurse practitioner. So I know too much mm -hmm. and it was terrifying yeah. enough just as a mom, but knowing like what happens in the OR was very scary. Um, but then I let her go and I was like, this is it. We're going to figure it out. 20 minutes later, that plastic surgeon called me and said, Hannah, I scoped her. I know we thought this might be the problem, but I really don't think that this surgery is going to help her. And I was like, well, I also have worked with this surgeon before in my job. I trust his opinion. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if you don't think it's going to help, then I don't want to do right. it. Um, so she came back up to her room. We were very confused. And then maybe an hour later, I got a call from a geneticist um, as a part of the research study that I've never met, not affiliated with the hospital at all, who told me that Isla had Mirage syndrome. Uh, Mirage syndrome is a very rare genetic disorder. She was patient 45 in the world to be diagnosed with it. Um, it's a relatively new diagnosis. Um, it wasn't established until like 2016. And a lot of babies with Mirage syndrome aren't diagnosed because they are stillborn. Um, a big thing of that is intrauterine growth restriction and agitation and not controlling your body temperature and aspirating. All these things that like nobody could tell me what it was, it made sense in this. Um, when I asked him very directly, like, what do you think her life's going to look like? Like, what would her quality of life be? What do other patients who have this that you've seen, like, are they able to have like happy and healthy lives? And he really batted that question away. Um, and I, I understand it's a hard conversation, but um, all he could tell me was he couldn't tell me because it was so new. They had, they didn't have enough data to prove anything. And then there was a beat and he said, I'm so sorry. And that's when I knew like it was not good. Mm. So I have access to all kinds of like public research libraries through my job. So I hopped on there and looked at all of the data. And I learned that most babies with Mirage syndrome have severe global delays. Um, they're very high risk for invasive infections. Their immune systems don't work. And most babies die before they are two years old. Um, and I could not believe what I was reading. Um, the next day, our team came in that we love that had been taking care of us. Um, and they had gotten the call too. And confirmed what I had read that night before that Isla had Mirage syndrome and that she was going to die. And I still don't know if anything is worse than that day. Even the day that she died, I think that day may be still be worse. Mm -hmm. So after that, 
our goal was to get her home and to just love her. So we went back to UAB where she lived. We call it home. (laughs) Um, We were able to get her a special kind of feeding tube that goes in her nose and goes like past her stomach to decrease her risk for aspirating food. Her oxygen got better. She was on like just a little bit. She was taking food great. She was a happy baby. Mm. Um, And then we got to the point two weeks later where they let us go home. And um, we were so excited. It was incredible. Um, They had, of course, a Nikki graduation for us, all that stuff. Um, And then we made it about five hours at home before she aspirated around that tube in my arms Mm. and stopped breathing. And then I had to resuscitate my daughter. Um, And that I would say was also worse than her death. I was able to get her back very quickly while my husband called 911. And then an unfortunately long time later, we were on an ambulance back to the hospital. Um, That's a separate soapbox for a different (laughs) day. Why it took so long. We got back to the hospital and she was intubated and had a breathing tube and was on a ventilator and it did not look good. Um, And then once we joke about it now that Isla really just wanted to go home. Um, the next day they were able to take the breathing tube out and she was back on her CPAP. Um, <laughs> she just missed all of her friends <laughs> um, is what we said. Um, but then, you know, when the doctors would see us every day, we all kind of agreed that this was her home. Like our, our goal wasn't to get her out of the hospital anymore. It was to enjoy whatever time we had left. Even if it was eight more months, a year, we were planning to stay there. So we were really grateful that the hospital got palliative care involved with us. Um, And that team, I owe everything to. And we talked about what we wanted Isla's life to look like. And we wanted it more than anything to be fun and full of love. Mm -hmm. And boy, was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, there's a courtyard in front of the hospital. We would take walks with her respiratory therapist and her nurse and her nurse practitioner and all of her equipment every day so she could go outside. Um, we did themed photo shoots. Um, I love there, those. I wanted I to them. take. <laughs> <laughs> love all of those. And man, yeah. She acted like she didn't like it, but <laughs> you can see it in her eyes. Any picture of her, she's just eating it yeah. up. She loved attention. <laughs> Hilarious. I don't know where she gets it. <laughs> All of her sets. Um, I really wanted to take her to the beach. And I told the doctors that. I was like, I've always wanted to braid her hair and take her to the beach. And her nurses said, Done. They brought a kiddie pool. They went and bought sand. Oh they made her a little fake margarita. <laughs> they got her a little hat. We, we had a beach day I in the courtyard it. of the hospital. <laughs> and it was amazing. Um, <sighs> it was perfect. Um, we watched reality TV. We played in the floor with physical therapy. We sang her songs. There was a lot of Taylor Swift dance parties. <laughs> uh, late into the night after we would leave. Also, because her nurses, of course, love Taylor Swift. And that's the only thing that could get her to go to sleep. <laughs> so um, we had August and September. And 
easily the best two months of my life. Mm-hmm. She got on just a little bit of oxygen. She was tolerating her feeds okay. She wasn't having all these bad infections anymore. And after like six weeks, me and Jake, my husband, were like, could we take her home? Like, is that even really an option? Mm. We weren't getting our hopes up. But um, we thought maybe, like, this seems like she's doing better than we expected. Um, But then at the end of September, she started to decline. Um, one of the things about her syndrome too is hydrocephalus or just, you know, extra fluid on your brain that you can't get out. And, um, it seemed like she had started to develop that. The only way to fix it is with a very invasive brain surgery. Um, and we were not going to do that to her under any circumstance because there wasn't a guarantee it would help her live longer. Um, it would just make her suffer more guaranteed. Yeah. Um, so we had a family meeting at the end of September and we all agreed that she would continue to get sicker. We, you know, didn't, nobody knows a time frame, but none of us thought she would make it to the end of October. Um, and we're a big Halloween family. <laughs> um, so that was, I always wanted to have Halloween with my baby. And so we did Halloween every single day in October. Love it. <laughs> um, Notable costumes would be Nancy Drew, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, (laughs) Mike Wazowski, um, a chicken. We did trick or treat. We dressed her up as a chicken (laughs) and we went around the courtyard and all of her aunts and grandparents had candy for her. Um, She did not like it. We let her try it. She did not like chocolate, which was devastating to me. (laughs) But um, we had we still had so much fun with her. Um, and yeah, we did Halloween every day until October 21st. Um, on the morning of October 22nd, I was working because someone had to pay for her hospital bills. So at six weeks postpartum, I had to go back to work. Um, but I'm very grateful to my coworkers and my entire service. They would, you know, let me go see my patients and round, and then I could do all of my work from her room. So Yeah. They were so flexible with me and I got so much more time with my daughter. I I owe them everything. Mm. Um, So I would had just finished rounding and I got a call from her NP and she told me she was concerned about Isla. They couldn't get her to calm down and they were like pretty maxed out on the oxygen she was needing on the CPAP that she was getting. Um, I think that I, could not accept in that moment that it could be happening, that she could be dying. I wasn't ready. I was like, nope, we've got nine more days in October. Like this is not happening yet. So I, and she was an angry girl a lot of the time. I was (laughs) like, oh man, that's so frustrating. You know, I'll be there as soon as I can. I'm going to finish up my notes and I'll be over in like maybe an hour or two. Maybe 30 minutes later, she called me again. (laughs) She said, Hannah, I have never seen her like this. And my doctors and boss would understand if I just left for the day. So I left everything except my phone, um, all of my work, all of my things just at my desk. I told my boss and she told me to get out. Um, And I went to see her and she was screaming her head off. Her vitals were insane. There were four or five nurses in the room trying to calm her down. 
Uh, so I immediately grabbed her and it's like the best feeling as a mom when your baby is screaming. And as soon as you put them on your chest, they just like take a deep sigh and oh, that is a core memory. <laughs> and all of the nurses were like, oh, there it yeah. is. She just needed her mama. Um, but she still, her oxygen was still too crazy. They couldn't get her down. Um, I called Jake and I said he was, and this is another when it rains, it pours story for another time. He was trying to get our roof replaced um, and the water pipe that had busted fixed oh my goodness. at the same time. And I said, too bad. That will wait. <laughs> right. uh, you need to get to the hospital. So he came back. And as soon as we were all there, her doctor and the nurse practitioner came in. And they told us her CPAP wasn't enough support anymore, which I knew. Um, and I asked for a frank and honest answer. I asked if intubating her would do her any good. You know, like we had talked about it if she needed a little holiday, if she just needed a break and some sedation and she could come off it in a day or two. Mm -hmm. We weren't against that. But he said this was not one of those times. Um, intubating her and putting her on the ventilator would be delaying the inevitable and it would not change her outcome. Um, we would just be making her suffer. They were right. I, in the moment, even, you know, being a medical professional, I couldn't see the forest through the trees. Right. And now looking back on it, I totally agree. They were right. Um, and I'm so glad that we didn't put her through that. Um, at that point, her palliative doctors came back and they'd been visiting a couple times, like once or twice every week, just to check in. Um, so they came in and we spent the rest of the day holding her and kissing her. Um, the palliative doctors gave her like the best pain meds and comfort meds you could think of. She was seeing colors none of us have ever seen. <laughs> um, she, after they came by, she did not struggle or was in any distress for the rest of her life. Um, we stole a couch from an empty room down the hall and we put her crib in the corner and turned it into a TV stand because she was never being put down again. Um, and we used those two couches to make a fort. And um, her favorite music therapist came by and played her favorite Taylor Swift songs mm. on the guitar. Um, luckily, my parents were able to come down and hold her hand for a minute um, before they came to our house and took care of our dogs and everything. Um, and we spent the rest of the night crying and kissing her and playing her all of her favorite songs, playing our favorite episodes of The Office. We watched Hocus Pocus. Um, there is one moment, I have it on video, of I'm just have her right here on my chest. And I'm just like kissing her over and over and over and over again for like, I, I couldn't tell you how long. Um, and it was lovely and beautiful. And I could tell that she was dying. Um, we had a plan the next morning. We were going to wake up, go for one more walk outside. Um, just so she could, she loved the outside air and she loved watching the trees. Um, but when the sun came up, I couldn't do it to her. Uh, I could tell that she was ready to go. And so I had to let her go. Um, her nurses and her therapists who didn't work that day came up 
to give her goodbye kisses um, and bring her stuffed animals and suckers. She loved a dum dum. <laughs> so she may not have liked chocolate, but she really liked a dum dum. <laughs> um, and they told her how much they love her. Um, and we got to have some very sweet moments together. And then once she was really comfortable, they gave her some extra stuff. Um, once she was really, really comfortable, uh, I took out her feeding tube and I took off her CPAP and I told her I love her and I see her and I'm so proud of her and everything that she did and that it's okay. She could go. So she looked me in the eye the whole time and we just breathed together a couple of times until she stopped and she died. And then she took one more breath. She, well, she did. She scared the shit out of me. And I was like, baby, I promise you can go. <laughs> um, and then she died. Um, and then we gave her a bath. Um, she loved bath time. And I got to wash her scraggly hair one more time. Wrap her in her very bougie little bear robe. And then put her in her favorite purple dress. And then me and Jake sat in the sun and read her her favorite books. And that's when the mom strength that I had started to fade. Um, we both, I think it was probably a few hours that we were in there with her after she died. Um, I don't know for sure. But then um, we both started to panic. So we called her nurses in, um, and then I had to hand her back. Um, and then after that, after I handed her to her nurse, who I love, who I trust with my daughter and her body, I really don't remember much. Um, I do remember getting settled down into a wheelchair, and they, they rolled me out. Um, I think I was screaming, but I couldn't hear anything. Um, they took care of packing up all of her stuff. They spent the rest of the afternoon taking some very beautiful pictures of her that I treasure um, and loving on her until it was time to send her into the care of the funeral home. Um, but it hit me all at once like a ton of bricks that my daughter is gone and I'm not okay. Um, until one of the nurses that had rolled me outside, her name is Caroline. She's also a lost mom and her daughter's name that she lost is Hannah. Um, she picked me up by my face out of the wheelchair and said, you are going to survive this. And I said, do you promise? And she said, yes. And I've got to tell you, that is the only thing that's gotten me through a lot of days mm -hmm. since her death was immediately after she died, I had a lost mom telling me that we were going to survive this together. And that means the world to me. Um, and I, I believed her and I still believe her, even though now I still miss her more every day. It comes in waves now, the like the piercing pain where I just want to vomit. Um, 
it has gotten farther apart, but I don't love her any less. I don't miss her any less. I picture what she would be like and what she'd be doing all of the time. Um, she'd probably be dancing and making me play the Barbie movie over and over <laughs> again if I had to bet. Um, but that is the honestly short version <laughs> of the story of the seven months of my baby girl being on earth with me. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us and sharing Isla. As much as we've talked, I'm, I learned new things then as well. <laughs> um, so thank you for being so vulnerable to share all of that. And I think, like you said, I, I'm glad you had someone there in that moment after, after Isla died to say, you're going to survive. Because I think that is the one thing that we don't believe like at all mm -hmm. in those first few moments, days, weeks. So yeah. to hear that, I can imagine was not nice, but needed. Absolutely. So needed. And she didn't try to tell me I would be okay. Right. There's a difference. And that was such a big difference. Yeah. 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 Oh. Absolutely. She just told me that we would survive it. And ever since then, my best friends are now lost moms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like this entire community has saved me. Um, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, I'm so grateful I found you. I found you maybe like two months after she died. Oh, wow. Uh, it was really recent after she died. I was like coming up on Nico's first birthday. Yeah. And who knows where my husband and I would be and what we would be doing if that hadn't happened. Well, hate that you had to find me, but I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad that you did. Um, <laughs> me too. I just feel so fortunate to know you and to know about Isla and to have seen all her beautiful pictures. My personal <laughs> favorite is the Yoda, baby Yoda. <laughs> Love it. Oh, man. We love Baby Yoda. <laughs> so cute. That so one is sassy. a classic. Love it. <laughs> She's got some pretty bombastic side eye yes. in the Baby Yoda. <laughs> she does. <laughs> so much personality. <laughs> oh. So now, life after loss, life after Isla has, has passed away, um, you are living as a lost mom with no living kids. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what would you like the world to know what life is like as a lost mom with no living kids? Mm. Um, I think there are two things. The first one being that um, I love my daughter as much as people love their living children. Um, and I say that because I've had a lot of people say to me with the best intentions, and I think that they are trying to give me a compliment by saying, you're so strong. If I lost my daughter, I wouldn't survive. Mm. Um, and to me, as a lost parent who also thought there's no way I'm going to survive, knowing the love I have for my baby, that makes me feel like they think it's somehow a choice. Right. Like I chose 
to be able to survive this. Like at the end of end of the day, I close my eyes and I have to wake mm-hmm. up. Sometimes against my against my will. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather just sleep forever and be with her. Like that's a thing that lot like I know so many lost moms, myself included, where it's like I just want to go dig up her grave and crawl in the hole mm-hmm. with her. Like that is where I am in my pain. Um and I love my baby just as much as everybody else loves their kids. Um, I know it's hard for people to imagine that with their love for their kids, they could survive afterwards. And it's, it sucks. Absolutely. It sucks, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't change the love I have for her. Um, the second thing is, and I'm very grateful that I've only had two people say this to my face. (laughs) Um, there is no trying again. Mm. <laughs> um, Isla was not a mulligan yep. or a first pancake. She's a, a whole ass human being. And what a girl. Yeah. Uh, there will never be a baby that could ever replace her. And if we are lucky enough to get to have more children, um, it, having another living child will never take away the pain that I have for missing her. I will always love her and I will always miss her. So, you know, having another kid or wanting to isn't ever going to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I hate that, Mm -hmm. that people say those things too. And they always mean Mm -hmm. well, but it's not, not received well. Yeah. What do you wish people in the lost community knew about what it's like being a lost mom with no living kids? Like for myself, I had a living child before going through loss so what what would you like me and the rest of us to know or to understand better? Um, well, first of all, I love all of my lost mamas who have living children. I think the biggest thing is that it's really hard to describe unless you have no other living children, just how devastatingly lonely it is. There's just like a giant hole and silence in our house that we can't quite shake off and that loneliness can really eat at you. Mm. Um, And the solution to that isn't for everybody to have another kid. You know, some people never have future living children because it's not right for them. Um, But that doesn't make it less lonely. And I'll also say that if any of my sweet dear lost mama friends that have other living children or do get pregnant after loss, I may be insanely jealous of you, but I am equally as happy mm-hmm. for you. Like, um, and you're allowed. To I've got us. That's a totally normal, valid feeling to have. Yeah, yeah. And lost parents who are pregnant or have other living children are so understanding of that jealousy too. I have found that they're like, you know, I wish you were pregnant with me, or I wish Isla was here. She should be here. So yeah, I do get jealous of parents with living children, but it doesn't mean I don't love them as much or I have any resentment, I guess is what I'm trying to Mm. say. There's no resentment. It's all love with some jealousy of what I wish I had. Thank you for that. And then the last question I have for you is, what do you wish you knew prior to your loss? What do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? Now, this one I've thought about a lot since she died. 
I think, I think that there is the rest of my life for me to be devastated. Um, and I have spent a lot of my life prior to my daughter being devastated by people that I love. And that time of pregnancy was so beautiful with her and her life was so beautiful. So I don't think I would tell myself what was to come. I think that version of me deserved to enjoy that bliss because mm-hmm. I would never have that again. I would definitely tell myself though, how I can't even imagine how magical she's going to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I would tell myself that I'm not prepared for the love that I'm going to feel for her and that my heart would explode as soon as they put her on my chest for the first time. And most importantly, I would tell myself that I shouldn't be so hard on myself because I became the mother that I always dreamed of as a little girl. Mm. I was the mother to Isla that I deserved. Um, And I got to get that mother-daughter relationship back I really did it and I did it right and I should be proud. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful, Hannah. It really is. (laughs) Thank you. And you should be proud. You are an amazing mother to Isla. Thank you. And I know she's proud of you. Thank you. She's very, um, you know, everybody believes something different about after people Mm -hmm. die. I'm a spiritual person. I feel my daughter all the time. We talk to each other. She sends me signs almost every day. Um, And she is very vocal and I am very grateful that my loud, sassy baby sends me signs to remind me that she loves me and that she's proud of me very frequently. That's great. You deserve that too. You deserve (laughs) all the signs. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Now I do want to talk a little bit about what you have since created in the wake of, (laughs) of Isla dying. And it is this beautiful um, charity called Be Brave for Isla. And I would love it if you would speak on that and tell us about it and what you guys are doing and how you're helping the community. Absolutely. Um, Almost a year ago, um, on Isla's second birthday last year, we launched Be Brave for Isla in her memory. And we are a charity that provides financial assistance and emotional support to anyone who has lost a pregnancy infant or child in any capacity. So TFMR, um, abortion, stillbirth, miscarriage, infant loss, neonatal loss, anyone who's lost a child can be supported by us. Um, any, we think any type of loss deserves equal support. Um, so we partner with local funeral homes, prioritizing people who are lower income, um, and we pay for their child's funeral in full and allow them to design a grave marker or to pick out an urn of their choice to keep their baby at home with them. Uh, Last year was insane, and we were able to serve 31 families financially. Um, That's incredible. And uh, we also get referrals from the NICU where she lived um, because the bereavement coordinator Uh, And I are very close. So we've gotten many calls from them of families who need support and no other way to get it. Um, And we're really grateful for those relationships. We also do emotional support. So I run a monthly peer support group for anybody who's lost a child in any capacity. Um, That's, you know, online on Clubhouse. 
very accessible. We have members all over the country. Um, and then we also have a therapy counseling network. So we've got a couple of practices here in Birmingham, Alabama that have partnered with us that we can send uh, families to for formal therapy. And these people specialize in perinatal grief, trauma therapy, PTSD, anxiety, depression, internal family systems, like anything that a lost parent really could benefit from. EMDR, brain spotting, which I do brain spotting and I cannot recommend it highly enough. It has changed my life over the past year. Um, and uh, this year, our plan is to be able to create counseling packages so that we can also pay for therapy wow. for families afterwards. Um, it's been the most rewarding job I've ever had. And um, I can't believe I get to do it every day. Mm. Um, we have our signature event every year in October because Isla's a Halloween baby. <laughs> it's called Isloween because we also love a pun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we will continue to have that every year in Birmingham for as long as they will let us, <laughs> as long as we can find a venue. Um, it has been so lovely to get to meet all of these families who would otherwise not be able to take their baby home with them or take into a communal grave because they truly couldn't afford cremation. Um, and it's also an honor that every time I meet someone new, um, every time I talk to a counselor or a different nurse, or I go to a different business to try to get funding and fund, get some money coming in. I also, at the same time, get to share them, my daughter. Um, and that is one of the biggest things for me is I get to share her story and her legacy. And this is how she will, in one of the ways she will continue to live on, on this earth is through this charity. And it is the honor of my life to help other families like ours. That's so beautiful. And what an incredible legacy for Isla. The work you're doing is amazing. I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't think of a baby more deserving yeah. of all of my time, attention, <laughs> headaches. I mean, I'd be having them if she was here on earth right. anyways. Yeah. I may as well <laughs> stay up all night, sleep deprived. <laughs> <laughs> That's what moms do, right? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh. Now, if people want to um, learn more about Be Brave for Isla or uh, make a donation, support you guys, how can they find you? We are on pretty much every social platform with the handle at Be Brave for Isla, I-S-L-A. Our website is BeBraveForIsla.org. And uh, March 31st will be the one-year anniversary of since we've launched this. And we will be having a launch fundraiser. So anybody wants to donate to that, help celebrate um, this incredible thing that we have done in our daughter's memory. Um, if they're touched by Isla's story, um, that's a great time to help support our cause and help us support even more families. Um, we do have a grief account that's not associated with the nonprofit business, and it's at our Isla Baby on Instagram. It was originally uh, Isla's NICU journey because everybody wanted to know about Isla, and so we were posting all kinds of updates there. So if this wasn't enough and you want to know even more about all the nitty gritty details, all of that 
info and all of her pictures are there. And they are worth looking at. I encourage everyone <laughs> listening to check out. I mean, yeah. Yeah. The costumes in alone. My, in my very biased opinion, they're incredible. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> Especially the Halloween ones. Like there were some captions on those two that we really nailed. <laughs> that I was really proud of. Well so done, please Hannah. go indulge me yes. and read the captions to her <laughs> pictures. Oh my goodness. Yes. And I will link all the accounts down in the description below as well. So anyone can find you easily and just click on those. Thank you so much for being here, Hannah, and being part of the Things I Wish You Knew podcast. Your story, Isla, all of it is just incredible to hear. Um, And I'm so honored that you shared with us today and that this is just one small way that her story gets to live on. So thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. I will take any and every opportunity to talk about Isla (laughs) (laughs) and share her legacy. And I'm so grateful you gave me that opportunity today. And I'm so grateful for everything that you have done for me since I lost my daughter personally. I'm grateful to know you. I hate that I know you, but I'm still grateful to know you. And I love you and all three of your babies. Thank you. Love you and Isla. So happy to know you and to call you a friend. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm, I'm grateful to be your friend too. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> this episode is brought to you in part by Little Words Project. Little Words Project aims to inspire and encourage people to be kind to themselves and to pay that kindness forward one bracelet at a time. Not only do they have tons of cute bracelets with affirmations, they also offer custom bracelets, both beaded and their new dainty gold line. I personally wear my custom beaded bracelets with my kids' names on them every single day. Use code BALOSSMAMA at checkout for 15% off your order. Again, that's B-A-L-O-S-S-M-A-M-A at checkout for 15% off any order, or see the show notes for the link to take you directly there.